welcome to the all-purpose nfl podcast i'm your host ap and in this episode i will be talking about championship sunday giving a super bowl preview and handing out my season rewards so let's get into it highlights analysis and a few hard hits this is the game day blitz the buccaneers survived a late game push by the packers to win 31 to 26. This was a very interesting game. It was a close back and forth affair until an interception towards the end of the first half that led to Tom Brady tossing Scotty Miller a wide open pass for a touchdown that made the score 21 to 10. And then the Packers got the ball to start the second half, but Aaron Jones fumbled the ball and that led to a 28 to 10 lead for the Buccaneers early in the second half. The Packers then ratcheted up their defense and scored on back-to-back drives to make the game close, but weren't able to capitalize on two of the three turnovers they forced. This game had a lot going on and a lot of storylines that played out during the game. For the Packers, there are three big things that I think need to be addressed. First of which is Matt LaFleur's decision to kick a field goal on fourth and eight with the game technically on the line. This is the interesting thing to me about that decision. There were five possible outcomes. None of them were good. I heard a lot of talk on social media and television about how it was a bad decision. But like I said, there were five possible outcomes. None of them were good. First outcome, you go for it on fourth and eight. You get the touchdown. You get the two-point conversion. And then you give the ball back to Tom Brady with two minutes left in the game. And all he needs is a field goal to win. That is the epitome of what Tom Brady can do. He's made a career off getting in field goal range to win a game. Not really what you want to do. It puts you in a better position. But realistically, you give the ball back to Tom Brady with the opportunity to win the game. Possible outcome number two. You go for the touchdown, you get the touchdown, miss two-point conversion. You then have to try and get a defensive stop, get the ball back, and drive down the length of the field to possibly score a field goal for the win. Very similar to what actually happened, you have to rely on your defense to get a stop. Possible outcome number three, you go for it and you don't get the touchdown. And now Tom Brady has the ball with two minutes left and you're down by eight. So again, you're having to rely on your defense to go and make a stop. Possible outcome number four, you kick the field goal, your defense makes a stop, and you get the ball back, and all you have to do is go down the field and score a touchdown with one timeout. Not really an ideal situation, but it's something that you think you could do. And the final outcome, which is the one that we got, was... You kick the field goal, and your defense does not get the stop, and you lose the game anyway. None of these outcomes have a positive end result. They all sound good, and it looks good to say, oh, yeah, go for it. You got to put the ball in your star quarterback's hands. But realistically, Matt LaFleur made a good decision based on the idea that they were two for three in the red zone at that point. The first time they were in the red zone, going into that end zone, they missed on three consecutive passes to Devontae Adams and had to kick a field goal. On this particular drive to end the game, 
they had three straight incompletions. Earlier, they scored the touchdown, but when they went for two, they didn't get it. They were struggling to have success in the red zone. And this is fourth and eight. This isn't fourth and two where you can possibly push it in and maybe get something. So from that aspect, he was making a decision based on what he'd seen out of his offense throughout the entire game. But also, you have to look at what he was able to do with his entire defense for most of the game. They had gotten stops on almost all of their drives. They had the three straight interceptions, only giving up a field goal. Realistically, they only gave up 10 points in the second half, and the touchdown that they gave up was on an eight-yard play. The defense had done a pretty good job all game. It made sense to think that they could get a stop. They didn't. But even in not getting the stop, if not for a late penalty call, it would have been fourth down and they would have gotten the ball back with two timeouts. It looks like a bad decision when you think Aaron Rodgers could have won the game. There was no winning the game in that situation. At best, you were going to tie. And even with that, that was not a guarantee. Matt LaFleur made the right decision. People don't really like it because it's not what you want to see, but he made the right decision. The second big thing for the Packers in this game was of the three turnovers that they had in the second half, they only got a touchdown off of one of them, and they didn't convert the two-point conversion. So they literally only got six points off of three turnovers. The issue with this is the idea that Aaron Rodgers choked and he didn't get it done when he needed to. It's not actually what happened. When you look at the game film and when you look at what actually happened, after the second interception, that first down, Aaron Rodgers is under pressure, gets the ball out, but it floats on him and gets away from Devontae Adams. On the second play, he throws it to Aaron Jones in the flat for five yards. Third play, the right tackle got completely blown up. Rodgers gets sacked. You have to punt it. It's not really on Aaron Rodgers. Packers defense forces another interception. What happens? On the first down of the ensuing drive, Aaron Rodgers gets sacked again because right tackle, once again, got completely blown past, gave up effectively a free rusher, sack. On second down, Marquez Valdez-Cantley had his man beat but slowed up and ended up being overthrown by Rodgers. Again, not on him. Third down, Rodgers could have passed it underneath to Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, but he went for Alan Lazard because there was pressure around him. You punt it again. Rodgers could have made a couple of different decisions, but realistically he made what he thought were the best decisions, and had they worked out in what they really and truly were supposed to be, things may have turned out differently. But the idea that he did something wrong or he choked is a horrible thought process. Granted, as the quarterback, yes, he's going to get the majority of the blame. But what actually should get some credence is Tampa Bay's defense stepped up in those two drives after having been forced back onto the field for the second and then third time after turnovers by their quarterback. They did their job. Can we at some point give the defense some credit? And the third and worst part of this game for the Green Bay Packers was Kevin King, who cost the team the game. 
Now, when I say Kevin King cost the team the game, I need to be very specific. Kevin King was beat by Mike Evans twice on the very first drive of the game, one of which was a touchdown. On the 20-yard touchdown run by Leonard Fournette, Kevin King gets run over, and his picture is him face down being rolled over by Leonard Fournette. And then one of the most egregious plays is with six seconds left, Kevin King does not pay attention to his man and gets burnt on a route by Scotty Miller for a wide open touchdown. And then with the game on the line, with the opportunity to give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers with two timeouts and a minute and 30 seconds left in the game, Kevin King gets called for pass interference. In my mind, I can't think of a time where one player was to blame so readily for the biggest mistakes of one game and the fact that it kept happening. He was at fault so many times. And he's in a contract year. I don't see a way that Kevin King can come back to Green Bay. I feel like his life may be in danger from Packers fans. I spent a lot of time on the Packers just because those three things were really big to me in how I thought the game went. However, I do want to take a moment to talk about the Buccaneers, who have a major problem. Their quarterback is not playing well right now. He's doing enough for the defense to make up for his flaws, but he's not playing well at all. Three interceptions in one game. In the previous game, he only had 199 yards on 33 passes and 18 completions. If not for that defense that stood up as well as they did, Tom Brady would not be in the Super Bowl again. And one of the biggest issues that they have is you're going up against Kansas City next. They're not going to make the mistakes of the Packers because this has not been an easy playoff road. And that's something they're going to have to figure out. The Bucks' defense looks solid and they did a great job of getting pressure and taking advantage of the opportunities that they had. But this team is in some major trouble if they don't figure out their Tom Brady problem very quickly. Moving on to the AFC Championship game, the Chiefs reached their second straight Super Bowl with a win over the Bills 38-24. This was a fun game if you enjoy watching the Chiefs. It was them at their best, which makes for highly entertaining football on both sides of the ball. They overwhelmed the Bills, who didn't seem to have a chance after the first quarter. For the Bills, it wasn't a bad game. They just ran into a buzzsaw that was excellent at doing what that causes them the most problems. Josh Allen was constantly under duress and couldn't get into a good rhythm. The run game never got going and they got away from it too soon. I saw a lot of people saying that Devin Singletary needs to be better and the Bills need a better running back. And as I watched the game, I was like, they can't run the ball. They're down too quickly. And their best two players are their quarterback and wide receiver. They're trying to make that connection work. Josh Allen was able to make some things happen on the ground, but it didn't seem to translate to much. Realistically, the only drive that ended in a touchdown 
was once they were down by 23 and the Chiefs defense had started to just play more relaxed. For the Bills defense, they tried their best to contain Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill, but they failed at it. They put forth a good effort, but the combination was too much for them to handle. Outside of the first drive, they gave up points on every single drive. Speaking of the Chiefs, this was the epitome of who they are in terms of being able to unleash the full power of their offensive weapons. Kelsey had 13 receptions for 118 yards, and Tyreek Hill had nine catches for 172 yards, including a 71-yard catch and scamper. Mahomes was also spectacular, continuing his streak of games with a touchdown pass, as well as his knack for making special plays. He had two plays on the same drive in the second quarter where he was able to just get out of pressure and just get away from someone before making the right pass as he was being knocked to the ground. He is genuinely a joy to watch. The most intriguing part of the game plan for the Chiefs, to me at least, was that they didn't go down the field in this game. Mahomes is known for his ability to launch the ball. That is one of the things we love about Patrick Mahomes. And he is great at making the big play. That's not what happened in this game. There was not a play that I can think of where Mahomes pushed the ball down the field. For all the times that we see those long yardage plays where he finds McCole Hardman or Sammy Watkins or Tyreek Hill down the field, there weren't those plays in this game. What's more is they weren't using a lot of dink and dunk underneath throws. It wasn't five yards here, six yards here, 10 yards, back to three yards. A lot of their passes were in stride and meant to be possession catches for first downs. They were eating up chunks of yards, 15, 10. They had the occasional seven but they were getting lots of first downs. They had 19 passing first downs. The Chiefs used the short and intermediate game to catch the ball, but then they were able to get yards after the catch on multiple plays. Tyreek Hill had like so many plays where they were just short gains, and then he turned on the Jets, and it's a 30-yard game. It's a 71-yard game. Even though it wasn't a pass, McCole Hardman and his 50-yard run, the way that they played this game, it didn't function in the way that we're used to seeing the Chiefs play. It was a very Bill Belichick-esque system where they figured out what worked against the Bills, and they just completely took advantage of it. The Bills gave up the most catches and yards to tight ends this year. Travis Kelsey had 13 receptions in this game on 15 targets. They did what was necessary to win, which is not something you necessarily think of when you think of the Chiefs. You generally think of they're just so talented that they overcome everything. This was very much a game where they took advantage of what their opponent did wrong. But it wasn't just the passing game. Daryl Williams ran effectively. He had 52 yards on 32 carries and a touchdown. 
one of the more interesting stats to me about the way that this game played out was the Bills scored the first nine points of the game. And the last nine points of the game, generally you would think if you are the first to score and the last to score and you get 18 points out of that, you would think that you had a great game. The only problem is there was a 38 to 6 difference in the middle of that. And it just goes to what the Chiefs are and who they are and what they can do. In the second quarter, they scored 21 points unanswered. This was an outstanding performance for the Chiefs. And they proved that they are the best team in the AFC as they head to their second straight Super Bowl. Now it's time to preview the biggest game of the year set for February 7th. This game has the potential to be a barn burner that goes down in history. It also has the potential to be a rather pedestrian affair. (sighs) When these two teams faced off earlier this season in week 12, Kansas City dominated the majority of the game, but took their foot off the gas and eventually let Tampa Bay back in the game. This was a major mistake and it almost cost the Chiefs the game. In the first half of that first matchup, Tyreek Hill had 210 yards and Mahomes had 359 yards, and they connected on two touchdowns. Those are game numbers. That was just the first half. But then the Chiefs let up. I said after that game that the Chiefs should have continued to go hard, fast, and strong at their opponents, but they didn't. And Like I said earlier, it almost cost them. If the Chiefs get off to a similarly hot start in the Super Bowl, this game could be over before it really ever gets started. However, this is not the same team now that the Chiefs faced at the beginning of December. The Buccaneers' defense is playing at a higher level and should be able to play more effectively with Antoine Winfield coming back this game. Their offense is also playing better at this point. They have been very successful since that game. However, Like I said earlier, Tom Brady has not looked good this postseason, so that may be to the benefit of the Chiefs. For what it's worth, I think the biggest storyline of this game, Super Bowl 55, is Mahomes versus Brady. This is something that most sports fans crave. The opportunity to see one of the all-time greats face off against a young stud who most feel is coming for his crown. This is the equivalent of LeBron versus Jordan, but we get to see it live and in living color and for the championship. In a season where we weren't sure if we were even going to see a finish, the idea that we get the GOAT, Tom Brady, against the best we've seen do it, Patrick Mahomes, to end the 2020 season, I think that's truly poetic, and I think it will be a night to remember. With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the Cover 3, the top three stories of the week. Number three. 
Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell are set to play in the Super Bowl without Ben Roethlisberger. This is one of the funniest occurrences to me based on the way that everything has played out since both players left the Steelers prior to the 2019 season. Had you told me that neither player would be with the team they started that season with and both be in positions where they are now role players, I would not have believed it based on the clout they had at the time, but here we are. Both players are headed to Tampa Bay to play in the Super Bowl while Ben sits at home. I'm pretty sure both are a little happier knowing this as neither seem to truly care for their former quarterback. Either way it goes, one of them will end up with an extra ring and Ben will have to watch from home, probably bitter about it all. Number two. Former 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Sala is the new head coach of the New York Jets. I don't know how to feel about this hire. I am all for a man getting the opportunity to prove himself as a head coach, but I question how good of an opportunity this is for Sala. I have spoken at length over the course of this season about my disdain for the Jets as an organization, and I truly question the level of success he will be able to achieve with this organization. What's worse is the Jets aren't looking good as it is, and the rest of their division is getting better, not to mention their conference where in recent years it looked like a good Jets team could make a push for a wild card spot, that seems even less likely now. The Dolphins had a pretty good season and finished 10-6 and and were outside of the expanded 17 playoff. Also, the Chargers look to be improving, as well as the Browns and more. The road ahead will be hard in terms of competing in the AFC, and Salah is already starting behind the mark, working in an organization that has not had any real success in the last decade. Number one. Matthew Stafford and the Detroit Lions have agreed to part ways. This is a story that truly makes me happy for the player. I am a big Matthew Stafford fan. I think he is a great player who has been in a bad situation for the entirety of his career. Until 2018, which saw Patrick Mahomes and Ben Roethlisberger both top 5,000 yards, Stafford was top 10 all-time in passing yards in a season, and he was on the list twice. Over the course of his career, Stafford has stuck with his team and been the only good thing about them for a long time. The organization never truly put pieces around him outside of Megatron, and once he left, there was very little to work with. Of his 11 seasons, they have had a winning record in four seasons. And two of those were only nine and seven. During his career, he has only had one season where he played all 16 games and didn't have at least 4,000 yards. Since 2011, he has been top 10 in passing attempts seven times. And one of those seasons, he only played eight games. Or else he probably would have been top 10 again. Stafford was someone who gave his all to the Lions, and I am now glad he gets to move on from an organization that did not give him all he needed to succeed. I look forward to his next stop, which I think will be either the Colts or the Saints, who could both benefit from his services and have the pieces that would instantly put him in the conversation as a top five quarterback in the league. There are certain times when AP has a lot to say. And it always starts with two words. Okay, so in the first edition of the All-Purpose NFL Podcast Awards, we start off with our Rookie of the Year honors. 
The Defensive Rookie of the Year award goes to Chase Young, who led all rookies in forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and sacks this season. Offensive Rookie of the Year goes to Justin Herbert, who set a new rookie season passing touchdown record with 31, had 4,300 yards, and only 10 interceptions. Justin Jefferson is an honorable mention for his success this season for the Vikings. Coach of the Year goes to Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, who led his team to a 10-6 record and managed the internal drama of a rookie who was not always playing his best in Tua Tungavailoa and a veteran who still had enough in the tank to win games in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Defensive Player of the Year goes to T.J. Watt, who was a monster this year and led the league in sacks, tackles for loss, and QB hits. He had a great defensive season, which is kind of par for the course for this particular family. The Offensive Player of the Year goes to Derrick Henry, who dominated the ground game and was the primary reason for his team's success. Henry became just the eighth man all-time to rush for 2,000 yards. And the All-Purpose NFL Podcast MVP award winner for the 2020 season. Drum roll, please. Patrick Mahomes. I know most people will say that it should be Aaron Rodgers, but in my opinion, Mahomes was more successful this year and didn't have the type of bad games that Rodgers did. Look at how they both played against the Buccaneers during the regular season. Mahomes also led his team to a better record overall. He also threw for 500 more yards and only played in 15 games. In my opinion, Patrick Mahomes deserves and has earned this award. If nothing else, he gets the inaugural All-Purpose NFL Podcast MVP award. That's all I have for this week. We won't have a Pro Bowl episode but I will be back to wrap up the Super Bowl and prepare for all the off-season fun in a couple of weeks. You can find the All-Purpose NFL Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and have a good one.